Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here of the Friday edition. It's already the weekend. We declare it. It started yesterday. I'm now, it's Thursday not just Friday. But Thursday afternoon. You know, oh, I, yeah. I, right around 2 o'clock Central Time when we go on air hunting. Yeah. Thursday afternoons. I think that's a fair time to declare it the weekend. I'm, I'm with you. Thursday I'm night football. Totally the that. voice, the sound of Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet calling a game right after that. I mean, it's the weekend. Sixth and Peabody certainly feels that way. As the weekend builds on There's Thursdays There's a and reverberation in the walls here on Fridays at 6th and Peabody with the amount of people outside of the studio. Yeah, and the consumption of Yeehaw Beer and Old yes. Smoky Moonshine. Andy Staples joins us on Three's College Football Insider. You can follow him on social at Andy underscore Staples and absolutely check him out on YouTube. Uh, reacting to all of the games and the show each and every weekday night is phenomenal. Uh, Andy, thanks for the time, man. Hope things are well. It's going good, guys. Happy Friday. Absolutely. Um, let's just start with the 7 p.m. game uh, tomorrow evening with Tennessee and Florida. It's a, it's, a, it's a game that means a ton for both programs. Chad has mentioned Tennessee can, this season defines the floor for Josh Heupel. Uh, he could explain if he wants. But then you've also got a, a big game for, for Napier in the Swamp. Yeah, it's, it's huge for both programs, and it's interesting because it's not always like this in a situation where you've got one program that's had a couple of good years where they're very satisfied with where they are and one that is clearly in a rebuilding stage and, and the fan base is not satisfied at all. But it's important to Tennessee, and you still have like a lot of nerves among the Tennessee fan base. I don't know how, how the players feel about this necessarily, but a lot of nerves among the Tennessee fan base because Tennessee hasn't won in Gainesville in 20 years. And it feels like they're snake bit because yeah. either they have a better team and something weird happens and they lose or they don't have the better team and they just get smoked. Like it's just been a house of horrors for them for the past 10 times they've been here. So they've got to get that part. It's almost like lifting a curse more than anything else. And then on the Florida side, this is a game where at the end of it, we're going to know if the fan base is still there for the rest of 2023 or checked out and they'll come back and see you in 2024. Like if Florida is competitive, like obviously Florida wins, they're going to be feeling good. The swamp will be rocking. Everything will be cool. If Florida loses, but they're competitive and it's close, that's probably fine too. If Tennessee comes in here and blows Florida's doors off, I got a feeling it's going to get pretty apathetic pretty quick. And that's not a place you want to be. Like, I don't think Billy Napier is in any danger because just having covered Florida for a long time, like the idea of them paying a $31 million buyout is just not in their nature. So I can't imagine them doing anything like that. But the problem is if you everybody checks out on you and everybody feels like there's, there's no upward trajectory, then you got to start worrying about losing recruits, that sort of thing. Like, because if... Honestly, if Billy Napier can keep his 2024 recruiting class together, there's a good chance they're going to be fine going forward. But 
it's it's not a patient fan base. It's not a patient sport. And they got to have some reasons for hope sprinkled in. This feels like the best chance at a reason for hope against a rival team because, you know, against Georgia, it's going to be harder than this. Against LSU, it could be harder than this. Against Florida State, it's going to be harder than this. And Andy, from the Tennessee perspective, we all expected them to be 2-0 and going into this game, and, and that's where they are. But they kind of stumble around offensively, sleepwalk through a game against Austin P. Uh, they were lethargic at times in the first half against Virginia. They haven't really taken any shots down the field. Josh Heupel this week says some of that's by design, situationally, not to show too much. But other times, it's what the defense is giving. Um, this is, just looks like a very different Josh Heupel Tennessee team in that so far the defense looks legit getting after the quarterback yeah. and stopping the run and the offense looks like it might take three or four weeks uh, to get on track at this point but yet they, they have that running game they had last year maybe even a little bit better what is this Tennessee team I guess is my question I, I do tend to believe them in saying that they're trying to be a little bit vanilla on offense they didn't need to be anything but vanilla on offense to win the first two games. So if you've been saving some stuff for this week, then great. I, I think that's probably good. You know, whether that's true or not is another story. I mean, Joe Milton was a little off target early in that Austin P game. And really, I think what, what Florida's chances come down to is Joe Milton accurate. You know, if he's spraying the ball all over the place, there's a chance Florida can get, you know, get the ball back maybe control time of possession, tempo, that sort of thing, or get turnovers and get a short field and take advantage of it that way. But if if Joe Milton's accurate, Tennessee should be able to win this game, you know, in fairly convincing fashion. Because you, you mentioned the D-line. They're very fast off the edge. That group has been probably one of the more pleasant surprises. You're now, granted, consider the competition. But when Florida played Utah, which was not at full strength, remember, Utah's defensive line had its way with Florida's offensive line. Now, Florida gets their center back, as does Tennessee, but Florida's offensive line is going to have to be a lot better than they were against Utah to give Graham Mertz time and to, to maybe make some yards for the backs because Florida's best chance in this game, you know, in terms of not just capitalizing on Tennessee mistakes, but the way Florida can just go out and proactively win the game is control the ball on the ground gain five yards a carry on the ground. The backs are the best position group on Florida's team. The question is whether the line can open things up for them. Andy Staples with us from on three. I don't know what we're going to learn about Colorado on Saturday night, but we're about to learn more with their upcoming schedule at Oregon and then back home against USC. What do you make of the first three weeks so far? Um, and just knowing that game day and big new kickoff are in Boulder. I have been very impressed on the football side with the way they've played because my my thing was Dion's going to work long term because he's good at acquiring talent and he's good at motivating people and he seems to be good at hiring staffs the thing is I didn't know that they would be able to initially compete the way they are because it is hard to get good big people out of the portal and it was I was listening to to Dion and Pat McAfee show today and he was directly talking to offensive line recruits saying Hey, we need you. And I think they've done a good job disguising any limitations they might have through scheme. The thing is, they're so good at the skill positions. They can do that against most teams. Maybe they can against Oregon and USC, but I got a feeling they're going to be able to score on them a little bit too. So 
I'm very excited to see what they can be because I went into the season saying if Dion wins four or five games this season, build a statue. Yeah. I think they're a bowl team for sure after what I've seen the first two weeks. And then we'll see if they're competitive in the Pac-12. At this point, I'm not willing to put anything past them. I I, want to see them against those. Like, we'll know exactly what they are after Oregon and, and USC. But it's one of those things, if they go out and lose those games, you're going to have a lot of people go, oh, I told you Dion wasn't any good. No, 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 no. They were supposed to get beat by 50 in those games. Anything better than that is progress. And if they're competitive in those games, Katie bar the door. They're going to be awesome next year. Well, Andy, think about the portal impact a year from now, what his his roster could look like. And I I think the perception of him has been, well, he's – in the portal, but he's not a threat. He's at Jackson State, or he's at Colorado. It's going to take some time. They're they're about to piss off a lot of fan bases at the it's top. Not, of it's not football. even the portal. The place you have to worry about them is if you have a 2024 class that you like and players in the 2024 class you like, because he can go in and say, "Look at how many freshmen we play." Yeah. Look at how yeah. they contribute. Come be that person now. Be be the Travis Hunter of twenty of twenty twenty three. Be the Dylan Edwards of I'm sorry of twenty twenty four. Be the Dylan Edwards of twenty twenty four. He's going to be able to make that promise, and he's not BSing. Like they have eyes, they can see. Especially you think about your if you're like a ready made offensive tackle. There are very few of those. They only go to a few schools. But if Deion Sanders, who is not your typical football coach, because he's Deion freaking Sanders, comes in and says, listen, you could start next year for us. You're going to have to sit two years here. There's a chance somebody might listen to that. So it's, I'd be worried more about them taking your recruiting class than them taking your guys through the portal. How weird do things get at LSU if they go to Starkville and lose and start one and two? Because even <laughs> after that Florida State game, Andy, you, you know the line on Brian Kelly. Hey, solid coach, can't win in the big moments, doesn't win the big games. And now if in you know, year two with all this expectation, they're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite, I think, on the road. But if they were to lose this game, what would that look like for LSU and that fan base? Oh, it, it, I mean, listen, the, the call-in shows would be spectacular. <laughs> Any call-in show after an LSU loss is amazing. But after the second consecutive loss to an FBS team, that would be just off the charts. And here's the deal with Brian Kelly. I, I feel like the fan base sort of hugs Brian Kelly at arm's length. You've seen the, that awkward hug where you, yeah. you, you wrap, you have your <laughs> arms all the way out and you're trying really not to get that, that close to that person. That is how they probably feel about Brian Kelly. It's like, yeah, we want him to come win games for us. We're not sure how we actually feel about him. That would turn <laughs> like they would actually feel pretty angry toward him at that point. Now, winning the SEC West last year bought him quite a bit of credibility, but I don't think any of them liked the way the the Florida State game went or the way he handled it after the Florida State game. I don't think they appreciated that. The though we must have thought we were Georgia or something. Like they did not like the way he handled that. And Notre Dame fans were like, "We told you. That's that's who he is." So He's he's got to get that together. Now, here's the thing. Most Brian Kelly teams, be they Notre Dame or LSU, with the exception of 2016, did fix mistakes like this, did fix things. And that's exactly what they did last year after they lost to Florida State. So 
I wouldn't be shocked if they come in and look supremely competent against Mississippi State. I picked Mississippi State to cover, not necessarily win, just because I like nine and a half in a home game is a huge number. But I wouldn't be shocked if LSU is competent enough to go in here and win this game. So you mentioned Notre Dame. I, I have to ask. Tommy Reese is going with his guy he's got familiarity with in Tyler Buckner for, for Alabama. Andy, are you surprised that Jalen Milrow, two weeks into the season, is, is out for now as the starting quarterback? And what do you think of this move for Alabama's offense? I'm not surprised because it didn't seem like they were really all that enamored of anybody. And the way they called the game suggests they weren't all in on Jalen Milrow. If, like, if you're all in on Jalen Milrow, who is the best athlete on the field most of the time, like you're running a ton of design quarterback run. You're doing a lot of read option with him. They weren't doing that. They weren't taking advantage of the things he's good at. And what, what's interesting is you had Jalen Milrow, who does move around a lot in the pocket, kind of walking himself into pressure a lot of the time. You'd see the offensive lineman kind of look back and be like, you're not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be blocking right here. Why are you here? And so I think they probably looked at it and said, okay, let's go with a guy who fits in the offense. We're trying to run a little bit better. I don't know if that's going to work either. You know, you, you've got a gauntlet coming up of sec games. Get it. You, you better get it figured out here in Tampa against USF, whether it's Tyler Buckner, whether it's back to Milrow, whether it's Ty Simpson, whatever you want to do, you, you need to figure it out because if you don't know by the time you get in the Ole Miss game next week, life can come at you pretty fast. Andy, what do you make of what uh, Michigan State has done with uh, Harlan Barnett and then adding Mark D'Antonio, who comes back as the assistant head coach? He's going to wear a headset on Saturday as they host Washington. We've got about a minute and a half left. I, I think it's a good move. I mean, Harlan Barnett, if you, you think back to, to what Auburn did with Cadillac Williams, this is a very similar move in terms of an interim coach, a, an alum who loves the place, loves the job, loves the players. Dream job, yeah. Yeah, so he's going to he's gonna do everything he can to, to succeed. They, the players are going to do everything they can to help him succeed. And then you've got Mark D'Antonio, who obviously loves the place and who is a very good organizer and can help him and be a sounding board for him. So as bad as the situation is with them suspending Mel Tucker, this is probably the best move for the rest of the season because you, you don't lose any play-calling ability you bring in some organizational help and you've got a guy who might be able to inspire them to have a good season. Andy, I love the backyard brawl as an idea, as a concept. I love this rivalry, the fan bases, the proximity, everything. I'm having a hard time getting that excited about these two teams though, uh, in this game this year. Should, should I be finding a way to get excited for this game? Just be excited. Cause it's a weird ass game. It's always a weird yeah, ass. Like true. last year, Last year, West Virginia is going to salt the game away and a ball that is thrown directly to Bryce Ford Wheaton goes through his hands and lands in the hands of a Pittsburgh corner who returns it for a pick six and all of a sudden Pitt's in control. Like it was bizarre and wild and this stuff always happens in that series. So that's what you get excited about. Don't worry about how good in general, globally, these two teams are. Just encapsulate the, the mood in Morgantown have yourself a, or, well, you know, psychically have a Tudor's biscuit and enjoy the game. Embrace the weird is what you're saying. Embrace the exactly. weird. Exactly. Burn, burn a couch. Hey, final thoughts. Just uh, Aller making his first true road start in the conference against Illinois for Penn State. Are you high on the Nittany Lions? 
I picked them to make the playoffs. So yeah. Okay. And and this is this is a game that'll tell us whether I'm going to be right or wrong because Chad's on board with that too. Yeah, this is one of those games like in the Sean Clifford era. I could see them kind of going in there, messing around. Maybe they win by three or six or whatever. If Drew Aller is truly the upgrade that that we think he is at quarterback, they go in there and cruise. We'll find out. That's a, I mean, there's there's good players on that Illinois defense. They got the law firm. They got, they got Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph. Like they got some dudes. So. Yeah. We'll see what they can do. Andy Staples is great at what he does. On Three's college football analyst and insider. Uh, On3.com is where you can catch uh, his show as well as YouTube. Um, hey, enjoy the uh, ballet that you're headed to um, coming up, right? And then uh, football all weekend. Well, no, it's it's me sitting in the parking lot waiting for ballet class to gotcha. end, getting work no. done, well, well answering done. emails. So if if you email me this week and I didn't email you back, you're gonna you're gonna get a response in about an hour. I know that life. Thanks, thanks, for, Andy. thanks for responding and coming on the show, man. We love it. Thanks, guys. Andy Staples there. Uh, great analysis. Uh, Chad, when we come back, let's dive in to some college football headlines and uh, also some prove-it moments for coaches this weekend starting tomorrow. That's straight ahead. Hot Mike with Hutton with our rolls on across the Outkick Network. Show is flying by on the Friday edition. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Are you in the chat today, Chad? Oh, yeah. I'm always in the chat, Hutton. I live in that chat. Fair enough. I yes, go to bed in that chat. I, I snuggle you up to that out. chat. I'm just right there. I put a pillow in it, and I go to sleep every night to that chat. Chad, uh... Victory last night for the Eagles over the Vikings. Vikings sent to 0-2. Meanwhile, Philly is 2-0, and and they haven't played all that well offensively. But keep in mind what they didn't do well a year ago. Specifically, they lose the Super Bowl by three points. They score 35, and they did it with virtually no rushing attack. They have fixed that. DeAndre Swift, virtually silent in week one, has a career-high 175 yards last night, the most yards put up by an Eagles running back in a game since 2013. It's been a while. LaShawn McCoy was that running back. And now Swift is there, and he looked awesome. Jump cuts, quick pace, fighting for the extra yards. It's exactly what they wanted him to do uh, in Detroit. The I will say, the, the big test comes, and they were – Critical of him in Detroit about this. Are you injured or are you hurt? Because he would be on the sidelines quite a bit over the last couple of seasons there. And that's something that we heard uh, the coaching staff and uh, the GM discuss. So that's the next moment for him in Philly. But last night's moment was huge. And he ran with a purpose. They need that out of the backfield. More than just Jalen Hurts. And Hurts, by the way, his ninth game of at least two touchdowns plus. And yeah. that's second most in NFL history to Cam Newton's 10. And that's crazy, that stat, because he, he's just not been as good as he was a year ago through, through two so weeks. So far, you're right. Um, so I, I'm with you. That running game is fixed with the Eagles. Now if they can just get Jalen Hurts playing the way Jalen Hurts played last year, before he went down with injury, he was the likely MVP of the league. And then he missed some time with that injury late last season. 
If he can get back playing that way, this Eagles team is going to be just as great as we all expected. But regardless, they sit here at 2-0, and and they've not gotten anywhere near the best out of Jalen Hurts yet. But I'm with you, Hutton. That running game looks great through two weeks. 2-0, and and their schedule sets up very well uh, if you're an Eagles fan. They're on the road next Monday night uh, against the Buccaneers. Then they will host the Commanders. Chad, then they go on the road against the Rams. And then they're on the road against the Jets. Those are the next four games. Not Bucks, bad. Commanders, Rams, Jets. We're seeing another opening run by Philadelphia. It Could feels be a while before they take their first uh, mark in that right-hand column for an L this season. That's what it looks like. Chad, it's a, a big prove-it moment for two second-year SEC coaches uh, tomorrow. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about it with Andy Staples, but for Billy Napier at Florida and Brian Kelly at LSU, this is prove it Saturday for both those guys to different degrees. At Florida with Billy Napier, at Florida you were truly judged by that fan base on four games every year. Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, Florida State. Billy Napier was 0-4 in those games in year one. This is his best opportunity for a win in any of those games this year. They go to Baton Rouge this season. I don't think they're beating Florida State this year. I certainly don't believe they're beating Georgia in Jacksonville this year. This is probably his best chance to get to 1-7 in those games through two seasons at home against Tennessee this Saturday night. Andy Staples, he's a Florida grad, and he said it. There's going to be a ton of apathy if they go in and don't look good and lose by multiple scores to this Tennessee team. It's going to settle in quickly. Win this game, and you're talking trash about a rival, and you're excited again, and you're fine. Everything's good for Florida. But I do think that this is a huge possible statement-making game for Billy Napier about his early tenure at Florida. No, I don't think that they're going to do anything with him this year in year two, but it's big for that fan base to have buy-in. And when you get buy-in from the fan base, it means you're getting buy-in from the players for everything, to go in and win at home Saturday night. That atmosphere is going to be jacked up and ready to go. you got to give them something to cheer for early. And if they can win that game, that's a big moment for Billy Napier. The other second-year coach I'm looking at is Brian Kelly because Andy's right when he says that fan base wasn't excited about his post-game comments. They certainly weren't excited about what they saw in the second half of that game against Florida State where the Tigers just got blown out. They got their doors blown off in that game. No one was expecting that. They were expecting a good, close game. They lose the first test. They put up 72 points against Grambling. Just move on from that. But now they go on the road, almost a double-digit favorite at Mississippi State. Zach Arnett, first full season as the head coach at Mississippi State. This is a big test for Brian Kelly and how they go in there and play this game. LSU is the better team. LSU's the more explosive team. They need to win this game going away. If not, I think it could get weird for Brian Kelly at LSU, much like Billy Napier at Florida. So while this isn't do or die, it's a big moment for both these coaches. I'll put a third one on the list. He's not in his second year. He's been there longer than that. Eli Drinkwitz at, at Missouri. He's got a chance for yeah. a huge win. A huge win if they can beat 15th-ranked K-State. Hutton, we'll get in my top 10 games later. Everything I see statistically in this game does not lead me to believe that Missouri is going to have a chance in this one against K-State. Maybe Eli proves us all wrong, uh, but I don't see it for Missouri. 
Chad, you know my my saying here. My it's line. It's not if you lose, it's how you lose. Napier could be in trouble. I, Staples mentioned the buyout. Florida is no different than many college football programs. Yeah, fan bases eat their own quickly. And it certainly happened with Mullen. The last coaching search, as I recall, Luke Fickle was their primary target. The problem of the timing of that is Fickle was at Cincinnati and they were going to the college football playoff. They yeah. were right in it and they were there. And you're, he's not leaving to take that job and distracting any opportunity. So he didn't do it. Um, the others that were mentioned, Bob Stoops and Matt Campbell. Then it was Napier that was surfaced, and it, it was really because LSU didn't want him. They didn't want to hire Louisiana Lafayette's coach at Louisiana State. Yep. And we know the rest is history where he ends up at Florida and took over a program that he was tasked with getting the bad out off the roster, and now he's just getting to a point where he can actually recruit the players that he wants there. Yeah, and, and sort it's of known as, as like a real straight edge, good guy, yeah. like nice guy to people, you know, good program builder. You had the uh, but there's zero Rashada the, yeah, issue. There, not a lot that's gonna get you excited, you know, as a fan but I This agree. isn't Steve Spurrier coming in with a visor no. and, and leading the the the, the pass happy Florida Gators back in the nineties. It's a very different style coach. I just so say be the, careful what you wish for because what coach is going there right now? Yeah. No, I, look, I, I'm with you. I, and again, I don't think he's in trouble. I just think if you lose this, your fans are just not excited about anything that they've seen so far from, from Billy Napier at Florida. They got a good recruiting class, it looks like, for this upcoming yeah. uh, cycle. But there's just not a lot to really grab hold of. This would be something to grab hold of because Tennessee – they haven't been at it for a long time with Josh Heupel. This is just going to be the third game of year three for Josh Heupel, but they've developed a pretty clear identity Yes, as a team that is exciting to watch. The culture seems to be good. Um, th that's the difference. If we're looking at this from the Tennessee perspective, Butch Jones should have won four straight against Florida. They choked in the swamp twice. Once on a giving up a Hail Mary to Felipe Franks yeah. on the last play of the game. The other time on a 4th and 12, I think it was, they give up a 62-yard touchdown on 4th and 12 to Will Greer where they had the game in hand. And those games were just squeezed to death by Butch Jones because he was scared, he played not to lose, and his team was, took on that personality. Tight. That is one thing I will say for Tennessee. There may be some sort of karmic injustice with Tennessee in the swamp that seeps in with the players. It ain't coming from the coach. Yeah. In this game. He's not going to play scared. Josh Heupel loves big games. He goes into these games loose, ready to go. So far, his teams have played that way. I don't think they're going down there afraid. I don't think Josh Heupel is going to play this thing afraid. I think he's going to play it like he does every big game. Him and his staff, they love the big moment. They love difficult environments to go play in. They love the big game. We've seen that time and time again. So if there's an issue in this game, I think it's because – Offensive coordinator change mixed with a quarterback that maybe just doesn't have it with this offense. We'll find out. I'm not giving up on Joe Milton or anything yet, but that that would be the case. It's not because the coach is going in scared. And I do think Tennessee, on paper, is the better team in this matchup. But we haven't seen Tennessee look great yet this season. They did it's their job against Virginia, and the offense, after a couple of early – 
offensive possessions where they looked out, out of sorts, just sort of gave up on throwing the ball down the field. They're going to have to do something down the field against SEC competition. And it starts this Saturday in Gainesville. Chad, postgame last night, Alexander Madison, the running back for the Minnesota Vikings, received hate messages, racial slurs uh, were used on Instagram, death threats, and other language that he has since screenshotted and put on his Instagram story that the Vikings and the NFL uh, both res responded to with statements denouncing this. Um, it includes messages of, and this, I, they claim to be Vikings fans based on how they phrase things, but one includes a, if you know how to hold onto a gun and pull the trigger, and uh, another one uses language that you can imagine and says, learn how to hold on to the ball. This team is 2-0 and with Dalvin Cook and other awful language that is screenshotted with his responses saying, this is not okay. You might wonder why, uh, why people post this. Check this out. And then has the message in response. Uh, again, it's, we discussed in the first segment if we're going to actually find out who they are and, and, and investigate this, he's put screenshots out of the post itself. Yeah, stop redacting who it is. I, I want look. It, it's 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 Madison's prerogative on this, but I see the egg profile picture on it. I want to know who's behind this account. Well, the, the like, account if we're going to get to the bottom of this this stuff, I. I it, but I'm sure it's someone's. You know, just. Uh, account they use to well, put post stupid stuff on the side. Well, who's doing it? I want to know the, the person, the individual who's doing it. Let's out this person. Well, I hope Instagram or uh, Facebook help do that. You can get to the bottom of it. Like I, there, there should be professional repercussions yes. for going after someone's DMs and posting stupid bleep like this. And the only way to do that is to publicly out the person that's doing this. Yeah. So I want to know who's behind it. It's easy to put an anonymous Twitter profile up with no photo and then just go send awful things to people. It's less easy when you show the actual human being behind it that's doing it. That, that, that's what I want to know now. Who's doing this? Let's see it. Yeah, it's awful. Because it's terrible. Um, but the only way to stop it is that people see real-life examples of Oh man, you know, I maybe shouldn't send racist stuff to football players because this person did it and they lost their job because they did it. Maybe I should think twice before sending stuff like that. I think it would help get rid of some of it. Chad, uh, also stupid, Keith Olbermann, uh, and his response whenever Aaron Rodgers went down with the, uh, eventually it was the Achilles, but at the time, everyone's playing doctor on social media and he retweeted one of the doctors, uh, that said it could be a, a Liz Frank foot injury as well. Olbermann re retweeted and posted another hashtag sudden Liz Frank due to failure to vaccinate. Well, Rogers went on Pat McAfee and responded to Olbermann. Hey, hold on, there's another guy. What's the guy? Keith Olbermann said oh, that... Um, you love him, though. Because you're not vaxxed, that's why it happened. Yep. Yeah, get your fifth booster, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. He didn't hold back. And Rodgers is back on with McAfee. Get your fifth booster, Keith, is, is terrific. Perfect way to handle that. I'm sure he has. 
Uh, Aaron Rodgers said a lot in his hit on McAfee, too. He, he said, don't expect him to be on the sideline anytime soon uh, with the recovery, but that he's hoping to get up in a booth. And he said he joked that I hope they give me a headset so I can at least uh, give a few plays, call a few plays over the game with what I'm seeing. Um, yeah, seemed to be in, in relatively good spirits given the circumstances. If he's on headset. But a great line about Keith Olbermann, who has just become a complete and total caricature. Yeah, he's and just a, a loser. I, I don't. Yeah, I just don't understand. He's playing into it too. Keith Olbermann was a really good broadcaster and good at what he did on Sports Center, and now he's become a cartoon. And I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, and then last season, not requiring it. The season prior, you've got Rodgers who was inoculated, and Olbermann was leading the charge against him, and then soon after. The league stopped. Hey, good, good for McAfee bringing it up on a network, by the way, that got sued by Sage Deal uh, because she yeah. sued them about speaking out against uh, vaccinations. That's right. More headlines next. Sixth and Peabody, broadcasting live from the Outkick studio with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us, and our goal over the next hour and 20 minutes is to get you to the weekend. Chad and I are already there. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow. Chad's in the chat as well on YouTube. You can search out Outkick and join the conversation. We Subscribe may have to, to the channel. Um, Hunt, we may also have to bid as a show on some of these offerings from some Hollywood celebrities. This is... Uh, that they're, it's, a, it's an eBay auction going on. It's like a they're SNL They're offering up different things. In their good run. Yeah, they're offering up different things. Uh, this is, a, I, I believe, a thousand percent real in order to raise money to put into a fund to help with health benefits and different things for crew members that are being affected by the actors and writers' strike. So, like, uh, an example is... There is a you, you can bid yeah, on it a, you can have a staring contest with Cillian Murphy, the actor who played Oppenheimer in Oppenheimer. One of them is you can get high with Christopher Maltasanti, the actor who played him in Sopranos. Um, a lot of different things. Lena in here. Dunham will spend an afternoon rendering a custom mural. Yeah, the pass on that one. You um, you can have coffee, virtual <laughs> coffee. With different actors and actresses. Now, this is a wormhole we can definitely go down for, uh, for a while at the bar. A watercolor portrait of your dog by John Lithgow. Adam Scott of Parks and Recreation will be walking a winner's dog in Los Angeles for up to an hour. Bob Odenkirk and David Cross will auction. join you for dinner. Right now the bid's <laughs> at $10,000 if you want to have dinner with, uh, oh, with Better Call Saul. <laughs> This I mean, is uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, 20 minutes, 20 questions, ask me anything. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm looking at it right now. Sarah Silverman's offered the same thing. <laughs> a 20-minute Zoom call, uh, an AMA, a ask them anything for 20 questions. Chad, each week we ask the question of the – oh, here's one of them. Uh, you can sit in silence with Nathan Fielder. Yeah, I don't, I don't know much about Nathan Fielder. He had that show $2,624 is the current bid. You have eight um, hours and 22 minutes left to uh, get your bid in, Chad. Natasha Leone, 
the actress, will help you solve the New York Times crossword puzzle <laughs> for the day. $4,550 on that one. We need, like, the cast of we'll Righteous sort, Gemstones to jump in on this. We'll sort through this and find the best ones and see if we can't come up with a, a bit of our own. Chad, what we can come up with each week is the dumpster fire of the week, and I co-sign on the lane you're taking this and the fire that you're certainly watching. There's a, a, a five-alarm fire going on in, in Lansing, Michigan right now around Michigan State. Um, I, I just, look, this is a great example of how tenuous things can be in sport, right? You think that, okay, yeah, we're not winning to a certain extent, but, you know, we got a coach. He's highly paid. He'll hopefully figure it out. He's got a $95 million contract, and that's Mel Tucker at Michigan State. And then you see reports that he allegedly sexually harassed and had phone sex, not allegedly, he admitted to that, but that he allegedly harassed a rape survivor who was hired by the university to speak to the program. And given the history of Larry Nasser and, yeah. and some, some incidents with Mark D'Antonio and, and his staff and things that went on at Michigan State, I, I just can't think of a dumber story that's out there than that. Regardless of what happened or whether or not he should be fired with cause and all that and you know, forgive and forget or whatever. I, I don't know the details of it and what's really going on here. I just see that as an administrator or a, his boss at Michigan State and think, man, could we get any dumber than this right here? The fact that you are engaged in this activity with the rape survivor that was brought on campus to speak to the team about sexual assault and sexual harassment. It's just such a dumb story. That leads to what I think is the biggest dumpster fire in college sports this week. It was Northwestern this offseason. Now it's another Big Ten program. It's Michigan State that's had to move on to a, an interim coach because of this situation with Mel Tucker. It's a total dumpster fire, and, 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 and it's my biggest one of the week. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the narrative there. Uh, Tucker's said this is not true, the allegations are false, and that it was consensual. Um, but – the lane you're taking there is just from a common sense aspect, right? The, the leader of the football program, um, the money that they've paid him, he is the face of Michigan State uh, in many ways. And the common sense aspect of what are you doing here as a leader of men, leader of that locker room, and the spokesman and the face of the athletic programs. That's Mel Tucker uh, based on expectations now uh, I realize Tom Izzo's name is on the football facility but yeah. this is the sport across the country that everyone's pointing to and we have all kinds of topics in the offseason about the highest paid coaches and the nine and a half million and living up to expectations and what he represents this would fall into the category of putting things in a bad light for the university and the the contract language this would apply to the contract language. Yeah, look, I mean, Mel Tucker brought this part of it on himself. I'm, I'm lumping Michigan State Athletics in, into all this because they signed this guy to a $95 million contract after one good season because they felt like they had to do that to keep him because they felt that everyone in the SEC was going to come after him and they yeah. weren't going to be able to retain him. So they overreacted to the good season, and he's not done much since. In fact, he's been pretty bad. 
And while Michigan State is 2-0 and going into this week's game against Washington, they haven't been overly impressive, and now you're dealing with this. So it's the whole circular nature of this that they probably over-promised someone money and a contract that he was not worthy of, and now they get this bit of information, and I think what's happening here is Michigan State said, wow, this guy's really dumb to do this. Let's get out of all that contract that we have and all that guaranteed money and go find someone better that's not going to cost us as much money. Yeah. So but, it's a dumpster fire. But they still received the results of this, of this investigation, of this complaint that the Title IX, um, they, that they looked into, right? They received this in July. Yeah. And he started the season as the head coach. Um, it wasn't until it went public that they suspended him and called a 5 p.m. press conference on a Sunday evening. Yeah, and they, they pulled the old, well, we, it's not just because it, it got out into, into the public, in the media. The USA Today report had details we were unaware of based on what we knew about the Title IX investigation going on. That yeah. was the claim by them. Sounds a lot like Northwestern. Details yeah. we were unaware of Whatever. within three days. The reality is it got out, so they did something. Chad, um, there is a Mexican journalist and uh, a UFO, I guess, enthusiast, Jaime Masson. I hope I'm saying his last name right. Uh, he That was way better than if Davey tried to pronounce he, that name. He showed I can guarantee you that. In I don't Mexico. know if that's correct or not, but if Davey tried to pronounce that, that was way better than, than him doing it that. It wouldn't be Jamie or Jaime, you're saying. Yeah, it just it would have it would have sounded way less certain and way worse. It just go with it, Jaime Masson. Um, at the hearing this past week, up Tuesday, I believe it was. You said it with such confidence. I believe that's what it is. Showing two bodies, quote unquote bodies that were displayed in these cases. It looks like, uh, you know, you've, you've got a funeral service going on. <laughs> Visitation. It was, it was very formal the way it was presented. And that's not these, very scientific. It looks unquote, like there was a, there's a service going on. Elated, uh, the elongated heads, um, three fingers, and claiming that this was these were found in Peru in 2017. And but not, this was the Mexican government presenting this, or this, this was, was being presented to this the is Mexican the journalist government? showing politicians at a gotcha. hearing. Okay, presented and, to the Mexican say, government. Yes, saying that it was not related to any any life on earth um look compare what was presented and use some common sense and just know that it wasn't Jaime Masson that found these extraterrestrial beings uh in Peru in 2017 but it was actually Steven Spielberg who directed E.T. <laughs> it, it, miraculously Whatever was presented to politicians in Mexico looks just like E.T., just drawn out and dehydrated. Chad, what are the odds? It's like Rogers coming out of the, the darkness retreat and he sees the New York Jets somehow as the team instead of retirement. What are the odds that what looks like to be uh, a chiseled rock was presented to politicians and made headlines uh, to where we're discussing it and mocking this. And I, some people actually are buying into the fact that this is some mummified alien from outer space. It's a dehydrated E.T. And Elliot 
is sad because E.T. is now being mocked. Uh, it, it, it looks like E.T., when he's found in the bottom of that creek in the movie, the first time that my mother says that I really cried watching something, I was three or four, and there was a re-release of E.T. in theaters. Uh, it's, it came out in 1982, the year I was born. It came out later. My mom took me to see E.T. She, she claims I was maybe three, three, three to four years old. And that I was bawling in the theater and she could not get me to stop crying because I saw this image that we're showing right now of this alien, which was basically E.T. dehydrated in the riverbank when Elliot thought he was dead in the movie. But he wasn't dead. They brought E.T. back to life with the love of Elliot and his little sister Drew Barrymore in this movie. Um, yeah, it's not real. I, I, don't, I don't know why people... Uh, hang on to this and claim it. I saw a story from OutKick that was like, do you believe now? And I just retweeted and I said, no. No. <laughs> no, this, this is not the evidence that I've, I've been looking for. And here's Someone the other... having a, a plaster-created alien uh, in the image of E.T. So two things that I it. think about here. Like, first, if you believe that governments are hiding this, the idea that someone who would have found this isn't boasting about it and telling people about it and just handing it over to leaders of governments is ridiculous because the name of the person who goes down as finding this is a world-renowned name, not just in their own country. And number two, Neil deGrasse Tyson would be all over television speaking on behalf of this. And even he doesn't buy into this. He, was, he said, hey, if, if other life forms visited Earth, we would all know about it because it wouldn't be... Uh, a secret. They would let everyone know that they're here and they're taking over. But somehow the, the planet, every, every um, Chad, every alien or anyone that would come to our planet, um, the idea is they're much more sophisticated, right? Much more intelligent. Yeah. So if everyone's willing to admit that, Sentient why beings. would the dumber, <laughs> the, the, the dumber planet be able to draw up and see and miraculously come up with a, a movie from the 80s where Steven Spielberg is showing us what this guy is claiming to have found in 2017. Again, yeah, I ridiculous. Just, I, I am of the belief that if this exists, then it's, it's going to be more over the, the history of time on Earth. There would be more of, of an oh. announcement of their arrival or... A, a way more surefire way of knowing that we have recovered uh, a UFO or we've, uh, you've got the great evidence Hutton of where UFO sightings happen. And it always tends to happen in North America or Europe yeah, they don't where have a people are more obsessed with alien life being a thing. Yeah. Chad's old phone has a better uh, camera on it than what people are able to film and what they find in the woods or find in the air. And it's never on a clear photograph. Um, and the idea that just, you know, we didn't actually land on the moon. It's like, really, Russia and Japan would just not care that we're lying about it at the time in the 60s? Yeah. We're not getting away with Some that. Some conspiracy theories maybe we pay a little bit more attention to. I, I'm, not, I'm not buying this uh, Mexican journalist presenting to whatever they were presenting to in Mexico that this is an actual is. alien skeleton. Yeah. Did anyone run the DNA test of the chiseled rock? Is the CIA, have they been alerted of this now? Are they, are they in the loop? 
Guys, we got to get in the loop on this alien skeleton that was recovered. The chalk outline there. Coming up, headlines that include Lane Kiffin and a lawsuit against him, the head coach of the Ole Miss program.